Oh, good morning. Welcome to church. If you're visiting us uh, because of Johnson and Grace's um, the dedication of Philip and Nathan, welcome. And if you're uh, here because of Invitation Month or you're just popping in, a special welcome to you as well. Uh, you may know that every weekend, millions of people around the world do this. Hands up, who's been to a park? Who's actually taken part or volunteered in a park run? That's quite a few of you, isn't it? I don't want to go. I don't think I could run five kilometers. Honestly, I just can't. Anyway, if you've ever tried park run, if you don't know about it, um, it started 20 years ago with just 13 runners. Oh, that was in the UK. In Australia, we hit a bit of a milestone. Only two weeks ago, we've had the one millionth runner cross the line in Australia. So what is park run? It's about five kilometers or, or thereabouts. It, it's free. It's timed, it's at various locations all around the place, and that's pretty much it. It's, it's really simple. But people love parkrun. Um, so many people, will, will, so many stories of people feeling uh, physically or mentally unwell or isolated or stressed or lonely or whatever, and then after parkrun, they will tell you how happy they've been since they've joined parkrun. Um, a friend of mine, uh, she has only started in July 2022, so it's fairly recent, She's already been to 72 park runs at 21 locations all around Australia, okay? Park run makes her happy, and park run makes millions of people happy. It's, and it's not just the exercise and the outdoors and the challenge of maybe beating your time. People will tell you again and again, it's because of the friendships. It's because it's the social togetherness. You're, you're doing it with others. You see, Park Run is an example of today's truth that I'm talking about, that happiness is not a solo project. And don't we need it? Because loneliness is called the silent epidemic nowadays, affecting billions of people around the world. One writer wrote this. She said, Loneliness affects us both mentally and physically. It contributes to depression, anxiety, low self-worth, and poorer psychological well-being. In the mortality stakes, it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is twice as deadly as obesity. See, we all know instinctively that human, human beings are social creatures. That we need others and we need to be with others in order to be happy. And yet for so many people, even with park runs and other solutions out there in the community, overall happiness is declining and declining massively. Sadness is rising. Now why is that? Why can't we be happy? Well, here's the, here's the thing. As much as we, I think, instinctively know that we need community, we need each other in order to be happy, there's a reason why here in Australia and in the Western world overall, the happiness is declining and happiness is so hard to find. And it's this, it's because there is a great force that pushes up against community in Australia and in Western thinking. That force that pushes up against community is what we actually also cherish. It's called individualism. Yeah? Individualism. I mean, ask anyone today, where does happiness come from and the answer you're most likely going to get is this. Happiness comes from you. You. No one else but you gets to be defined and gets to generate happiness. To be happy and fulfilled, don't look outside of yourself. Look within yourself. Don't let others define it, dictate it. 
You do you. Who's heard that before? You do you. And it's only when you live authentically by following your own path, your own desires, express who you really are, that is how you get happy. Now, as I've said that, probably some of you be like, oh yeah, that, that sounds right. That's what I believe. But do you see that that actually works against true community, doesn't it? Like we, we hold both, we try to hold both things, but they can't both be true. And if it works against true community, then it'll work against true happiness. Now, if you don't believe me again, uh, look at our youth today. Uh, Gen Z in particular are known as the most connected generation ever. They've never known a day in their life where they've not been connected, unlike old people like me. I still remember when internet first came into my household and it was a dial-up thing and it made an awful noise, but it was cool, right? But I didn't grow up connected like the youth today and some of you didn't either. But if you are, you know, late Gen Y, Gen Z, right, you are the most connected generations ever in the history of humanity and yet the most unhappy. The online community doesn't bring true and lasting happiness because it's actually the ultimate example of why individualism works against happiness. You see, think about online community. What is the online community? Everyone comes to the online community on their own terms, right? For their own happiness. Everyone comes to gain, not to give. And if I'm part of an online community, if someone threatens my happiness, well, it's pretty easy because I can block, ignore, cancel with a block or a swipe or a nasty comment. Is that, you know, social media algorithms create what's known as an echo chamber of, of people just like me saying all the things I want to hear. And so I'm more connected, but I am less happy because it's not true community generally. And that's going to be true of any of our search for happiness. Even though we know instinctively that we need each other to be happy, again, pushing up against that is our cherished individualism in the West. And that will sabotage this. Because guess what? A group of individuals coming together to define and chase their own individual happiness, that makes for a pretty awful community. Well, today I want to show you that Jesus offers a different kind of happiness and community that you actually will not find anywhere else. Not even Park Run. Okay, I know. Big promises. So come with me and let's look closer at the Bible passage we just read. So we meet a man, Zacchaeus. I'll call him Zach. It's just easier. He was deeply unhappy. Why was he deeply unhappy? Well, to spoil it a little bit for you guys, we'll read it in a moment. But he was deeply unhappy, ultimately, if you think about it, because he did everything he could to secure his own happiness at the expense of others. And that made him deeply unhappy. But meeting Jesus actually changed him and made him Happy. So let's, let's follow the, the reading again. On the screen, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. Okay, we find out three things about this man. Right? We find out his name, we find out his occupation, and we find out his height. Strange one, we'll come to that in a moment. But they're all important details. Let's uh, save the name one for later. That's the first one. Let's go to the second one, his occupation. We find out that he's a tax collector and that made him wealthy. Now, some of you Asian parents are going, ah, you see, I tell you, this is why you study commerce and accounting. 
because you work in tax and you can be wealthy. No, that's not what a tax collector was, okay? Uh, the context is this. Rome, the Roman Empire, ruled pretty much a whole of the Mediterranean, the known world of the West at that time. Uh, they ruled also the region of Judea, uh, where the Jews lived. And they would hire Jews to collect taxes for them, for Rome. And Rome didn't care how much tax collect, I mean, how much the, the tax collectors collected, as long as Rome got the share that it's supposed to get. And so tax collectors were able to, with the help of Roman soldiers and enforcers, they're basically like the mob, they were able to be dishonest. They could collect a lot more than they needed to collect to line their own pockets. And the majority of tax collectors were dishonest. But add to that another factor, and that is Rome was the enemy for Jews. They occupied the Jewish nation. Well, the Jewish nation was no more. They occupied Judea, and they oppressed the Jewish people. So if you're a Jewish person like Zacchaeus was, collecting taxes for the enemy, well, you get a sense of how bad that would have been. I mean, it'd be like, imagine someone who's a Ukrainian, and he's working for the Russians. Right? It's a betrayal of your own country at the expense of your own country people. So Zacchaeus, we're finding out, was not just a tax collector. He was the chief head honcho tax collector. And he was super wealthy. He made his living off the misery of others. Now, have a think about it. What would make a person like that choose this kind of occupation, even though everyone will hate you for it? What would make anyone choose such a despicable occupation, even though everyone will hate you for it? The only reason is, of course, happiness. Do you see what I mean? Everyone does everything for their own happiness. He was willing to forego the happiness of being liked, of being loyal, because the happiness of money was much more important. He was chasing his own happiness from his wealth. And in his mind, at least up till now, it was worth it. Do you see? Zacchaeus was working on his own happiness. That's his occupation. Let's find out about the next thing, the third thing, which was his height. Now, that seems like a bit of a minor detail and maybe a little bit of comic relief later on. We'll find out. But I don't know if this is accurate or not, but studies supposedly have shown that short men in particular have what may be known as the Napoleon complex. All right, the Napoleon complex. Supposedly, Napoleon was short, but he would make up for it, compensate for it by conquering the world. So supposedly, short men like to compensate for their height by trying to stand out in other ways. I don't know if this is true. But for Zacchaeus, that may be one of the reasons why he did what he did. Maybe this was Zacchaeus' way of thinking. No one takes notice of me. I'm the guy who gets picked last in sport. Well, I'll show them, you know. I don't need them. I'll be happy in my own way. I'll stand up in my own way. I'll look tall in their eyes when they realize how rich I can be. Yeah, that may be what I was thinking. So what, let me ask you, what do you think of Zacchaeus's Zach's pursuit of happiness? Now, we might have gone down the same way as him, but I, I assume none of us have. But you know what? If I am to think in the individualistic Western way of thinking, the truth is we can't really judge Zacchaeus, can we? Because what Zacchaeus is doing, he's living his best life now. Zacchaeus is doing Zacchaeus. You do you. Zacchaeus is securing his own happiness. How can you judge the way that he does it? Now, 
I know, some of you will be saying, hang on, hang on, hang on. You can do this, but you can't do it at the expense of others. That's why Zacchaeus was wrong, right? It's, it's, see, in the West, we often say, it's you do you, be who you are, be the authentic you, as long as you don't what? Hurt anyone, right? As long as you don't hurt anyone, you do you. Okay, that sort of works, but it sort of doesn't, because here's the problem, and this is why I think our society is so fractured. The problem is this, is who gets to determine what is harm? You do you as long as you don't harm anyone. Well, who gets to determine what harm is? See, why should Zach and his fellow tax collectors go by your definition of harm rather than Rome's definition of harm? I'll give you a live example. J.K. Rowling, writer of Harry Potter. In recent years, she's been cancelled because her tweets have been judged by some to be transphobic and harmful. Now, I don't want to weigh in on that. But I want to just mention the point that while it's been judged to be transphobic and harmful by some, yet arguably by even more people, she's judged not to be harmful. In fact, they would say it's trans ideology that she's speaking against that's actually the real harm. And actually by speaking out, she's minimizing harm. Now, my point isn't to weigh in on the... But do you see who's right? Who's right? Who's doing who harm? Who gets to decide? You see, that's a real problem in our you do you as long as it doesn't harm anyone because no one can agree on what harms and what doesn't. But I want to go deeper than that. I want to say the problem is that foundation in the West that we so cherish our individualism that we think we need to look within ourselves. And that's how we define and create happiness. I want to suggest that doesn't work. It does not work. It didn't work for Zach, and it won't work in the long run for you or me either. So what's the solution? Well, let's keep following the story. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. As a, you're supposed to imagine this. It's like a comical desperation. Now, it's, my kids would say I was never cool, but maybe at least I knew what cool was 30 years ago, and I don't really know what cool is now, but I, I think I can hazard a guess that what Zacchaeus did was not cool. Because isn't it like cool means you're going to care, but don't care too much, right? You're going to try, but you can't try too hard. That's called sweat. Being a sweat, something like that. Um, what Zacchaeus did was not cool, right? That's desperation. Go, grown man, climb a tree to see something like that is not cool. But he didn't care, you see, because Zacchaeus was deeply unhappy with his solo happiness project. And so he looks elsewhere. In fact, he looks to someone who he probably only heard of at this stage, because he wanted a shot at true happiness. I mean, he maybe just hoped to have a glimpse of Jesus. Just, just have a look, maybe up in the tree. He could finally just at least see Jesus. Because this man and others had talked about so much. Who had healed the sick, who had fed the multitudes, who accepted the dregs of society. He had hoped to maybe be... Taylor Swift is, you know, the big thing this weekend, last, uh, last weekend, this weekend, next weekend in Sydney. Um, I mean, look, if you were one of the 96,000 who went to the MCG to see Taylor Swift, you'd be lucky just to see her 
you know, not from such a distance, like at the back of the stadium where she's like this big, you'd be lucky to see her maybe a little bit close up. You'd be really, really happy if you got to have an autograph, like super happy if you managed to get a selfie, which I gather most people would not be able to get. But that's as much as you'd hope, right? Like if you're really, really lucky, you can see her kind of almost life-size or maybe get an autograph. And that would last you for life. And maybe that's what Zacchaeus was hoping. Jesus was, was the big thing at that time. Walking through his, his town. If I could just see Jesus, that'd be enough. But of course, he got so much more than that. Because we read, when Jesus reached the spot, the tree, Zacchaeus up in the tree, Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Did you notice that word? Gladly. The word means to rejoice. The word means to be happy. Remember, I said there were three things we learned about Zacchaeus. There was his occupation, there was his height, and then his name. Let's get to the name now. Jesus met and healed, probably by this stage, hundreds of people. And even in the gospel, the biography accounts of Jesus and his life and his miracles, we don't get many names. And Jesus probably did not know most of their names. He called this one by name. It's one of the rare people that Jesus comes across to heal or to help or to encounter. And he knew him by name. That's special. But even more than that, look, he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. Now, that's a big deal because they lived in what's called an honor-shame society. It still is the case in, in, in Asian societies, in Middle Eastern societies, in African societies. By inviting himself into Zacchaeus' house, he was giving Zacchaeus the greatest honor in an honor-shame society. See, up to now, Zacchaeus only knew shame from his society, and Jesus is now giving him the greatest honor. Jesus is saying, out of everyone here today, that day would have had hundreds of people, out of everyone today, Zacchaeus, it's you that I see. It's you that I'm going to call out. It's your house I'm going to stay at. I'm picking you today to honor. How special that would, would that have been? Now, if you were there that day and you weren't Zacchaeus, you'd be struggling to pick your jaw off the ground, okay? And that's what we read in verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They were shocked, scandalized. But that didn't matter to Zac because it didn't matter to Jesus. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, sometimes we say, if I do something like that, because we know we're safe, <laughs> you know? And it's not going to happen because we're not going to do it, as in we didn't do it. But when Zacchaeus says, I've, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, he's not speaking hypothetically. He's not saying that just as a defense. He really would have cheated lots of people out of lots of things. Right, And so what he was offering to do here, paying back four times the amount, you know what that means. He was not going to be a wealthy man after that. But of course, it didn't matter because Zacchaeus finally found happiness. 
And, and you know, he, he found it not by looking within. He found it by looking outwards to Jesus. Because Jesus accepted him. Jesus knew him. Jesus gave him a fresh start without shame. But you notice that also propelled Zacchaeus to live outwardly too. Right? He wanted to give rather than gain. He looked to the needs of others rather than the needs of himself. And it's no surprise that the more he would do that, the more that he would be happy. See, happiness is a strange thing, isn't it? The more that you focus on trying to gain happiness, the less likely you're going to get it. But the more you don't focus on happiness and gaining happiness, you might just experience it. And here's the other truth that I think we know deep down inside. The more that you work at helping others be happy, the more likely you will be happy as well. Isn't that true? So let me give you another statistic about Park Run. Did you know that the greatest mental health benefit that's come out of Park Run is not for the runners. Did you know that? I'm not talking about physical health benefit, I'm talking about mental health benefit. The greatest mental health benefit that's come out of Park Run are for people who go to Park Run not to run themselves, but to volunteer to help at Park Run. Right? Research has shown that. The greatest mental health benefit comes to volunteers, and that makes sense because they're not there for them, they're there for others. And strangely, that actually helps our own happiness. So how is your happiness project? Would you say that you're happy? And not just moments of happy feelings like Grace said, you know, when you're growing up, certain things you think, if I have this, if I have that, or if I do this, then I'll feel happy. But you realize, no, no, the fleeting, momentary, happy feelings, they're not good enough. What we want is an overall sense of contentment and fulfillment and satisfaction. Even through the unhappy times in life, you can have that kind of happiness, as solid as a rock, as Grace said, through the storms. Is that your happiness? Have you found that? Well, if you haven't, where can you find it? Well, Zach shows us how. Remember? Not by looking within. Right? You look within to define and generate your own happiness, it's the big black hole that will ultimately make you and those around you less happy. Now, happiness is not a solo project. And so today, Jesus tells us how. And I, I'm not telling you something that you haven't already discovered through today, hopefully. The first is, how, did, how does Zacchaeus find happiness? Well, look at that last verse. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's Jesus talking about himself, came to seek and save the lost. Remember, why did Zacchaeus climb the tree? He was a short man. He couldn't see Jesus. He climbed a tree to look for Jesus. But all this time, Jesus was looking for him. And out of all the people there, Jesus called him by name. See, finally, Zacchaeus was known by someone. And that used to terrify him, of course, because if anyone knew what he was like, they would be ashamed of him and what he did. But he was now known by someone who knew exactly what he was like, and yet he was still loved and still accepted. Pastor Tim Keller of New York said, to be known but not loved is our greatest fear. 
To be loved but not known is superficial. But to be fully known and yet fully loved, well, there's nothing as wonderful as that. See, when Jesus called Zacchaeus by name, and then he called him a son of Abraham, Jesus was actually speaking on behalf of God. I want to show you from Isaiah 43 when God said through the prophet Isaiah, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Imagine hearing those words from God. And that's what Zacchaeus heard that day. Jesus spoke on behalf of God because Jesus was God, is God, come in the flesh. You see, true happiness is found when the God who made you, the God whom by default we've all rejected and ignored and sinned against and knows everything, all of our warts and all, but the God who made us and knows us, loves us and sees us and still calls us. That is where true happiness is found, to be fully known by God and yet to be fully loved. And if you're ever in doubt, then just ask yourself, to what extent, to what extent did God in Jesus love you, love Zacchaeus, call you, call Zacchaeus? Well, verse 1 of the passage that we read Uh, Jesus was passing through Jericho. He was on his way somewhere. He was on a road trip in this part of Luke's gospel, a big road trip. Where is he going? He's going to Jerusalem. Why did Jesus need to go to Jerusalem? Again, I have to give you the context because we haven't read the rest. He's going to Jerusalem to die. That's right, to die. He chose to die because the source of all of our world's deepest suffering and pain and unhappiness and brokenness The Bible says it's because of our sin, our rebellion as human beings against God, that we push our Creator out. We've said we don't want you to rule. We want to rule ourselves. And that's the source of all unhappiness and pain and suffering and misery. And Jesus came to die for that rebellion and sin in our place so that He could deal with the sin that we committed and He could bring us back into relationship with God. You see, Zacchaeus climbed a tree and found his source of happiness. Well, Jesus climbed a tree, a cross, to secure Zacchaeus' and our happiness for all eternity, for us. See, happiness is not a solo project. To be truly happy, even in the midst of life's deepest valleys, you need to know the God who knows you, who loves you, who calls you by name and who died for you. And you can do that today. I don't know where you are up to in your spiritual journey. Maybe you've come into church for a while. It's never really hit you. Or maybe you've never come to church before and this is your first time, whatever it is, and anything in between. Today, you can say to Jesus, to God, thank you that you know me. I want to be known and loved by you. Please come into my life. Just something simple like that. You could say that in the quietness of your own heart, in your own time. Ask him into your life. Right? It's that easy. 
But if you want to find out more, if maybe if you have done that and you just want to follow up on that, again, I'd love to invite you over to my place. Karen and I are hosting dinner. It's all free. Starting Sunday, March 10, have dinner with a group of others who are investigating or searching or just trying to find out more. We're going to watch a short video. We're going to have a discussion. It's going to be great, right? It's community as well. Come along to Alpha. Register. There's one more thing. See, Luke, uh, the writer of the biography that we read of Jesus' life, he doesn't tell us, um, but there's always a hint. When, when, whenever the Gospels uh, mention someone by name, all right, remember, most people that Jesus comes across, you don't hear on by name. Whenever you read someone and, and there's a detail given like this was, you know, this person was Rufus, you know, the son of Alexander, like these names, there's a good chance that these were people known in the early church, okay? Because Luke was writing, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four biographers of Jesus, writing a few decades, they were eyewitnesses, but they were writing a few decades after the events, and they were writing at a time when the early churches started to spread. And so when they mention someone by name, like Zacchaeus, there's a good chance that he was part of the early Christian movement and that people knew him. He was likely an important member. He may have even been a leader of the community that would spring up in the early church after Jesus died and rose. And I want to come to that point, finally. And that is the church, Jesus' community. The church, when it is at its best, is the best place to experience genuine community. It really is. Now, I know some of you have been hurt by church or churches. And I don't want to downplay that. All right, there's genuine hurt and baggage. And the church has done, churches have done some pretty awful things. But I wonder if you could give it another chance because church is by no means perfect. But when churches are the kind of communities that acts like Jesus, there really is nothing like it, like nothing. It is better than any other community, even Park Run. And it's better than any other, even family out there. When it's at its best, there is nothing like it. And let me give you, if you're standing from the outside looking in, let me give you three reasons why you should give it another chance. There's a reason why the churches as community are different. Firstly, it's a center. Churches are not centered, gathered around common interests, like almost everything out there is, including Parkrun, okay? It's not about common interests. I come and you come because we both have something in common that we both like to do and then we'll do it together. And it's not even centered around happiness. And it's not centered even around itself. What is the center of church? The center of church is that we are all known and all called by Jesus. That is the only center of church. It's Jesus. Jesus knows us all. Jesus calls us all. Jesus loves us all. And so church, historically, sociologically, is actually the most diverse group of people you ever meet. People who have otherwise nothing in common, except that Jesus loves us all. That's true diversity, all right? And at its best, it's a community that reflects that. And I believe here we have a little slice of that here at Church of Ten. And it's a community of grace because we've all, been, we've all received grace and kindness from Jesus. So we try to show it to each other. That's the center. The second is cost. Now you'll be like, hang on, I thought church was free. Church is free. Okay, don't worry. Put your wallets away. But there is a cost. In fact, there is a cost to following Jesus. It's not a monetary cost. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. See, the cost of being a Christian 
is service and sacrifice, isn't it? Like that is at the heart of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. We've got to walk in the way our master walked. We've got to be willing to give up our lives and everything for the sake of Jesus and others. So the cost of this community is you've got to live out your discipleship, which means that living outwards is inbuilt to this community. Because to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to live outwards. It's just part and parcel of being a disciple. I live for the sake of you. You live for the sake of each other, right? Now, that might sound like a big cost, but remember, communities built on other person-centeredness are also the communities that genuinely are happy. And that's why church, at its core, is not about you come for your interests, I come for my interests. No, I come I'm committed, you're committed for someone else. And yes, it's a cost, but it's going to genuinely make you happy. And last of all, another C, corporate worship. What we do here, Sunday at 10, when we uh, praise God. If you're new, you might be like, wow, Christians love to sing. We sing, and why do we do that? Why do we pray together? All that kind of stuff. What we do, this kind of stuff, Sunday to Sunday, praising God, praying to God, and even lamenting, crying, and grieving to God, um, all of that actually is known to contribute to happiness. Why does the corporate worship stuff that we do contribute to happiness? I'll tell you why. It's because joy is magnified when it is shared, is it not? Grief, when it is shared, becomes more bearable. Worshiping with others is a foretaste of our eternal happiness in heaven. And so what we do here Sunday by Sunday and midweeks in community groups corporately, actually will increase your happiness, right? This is why if you haven't given church or given this church a chance, can I encourage you to have a think about that? All right, happiness. How's your happiness project going? Hopefully today, meeting Jesus through the eyes of Zacchaeus, you might find that happiness in community, being known and loved by God, is something that is worth pursuing. Let's pray. And we'll get ready to sing in a moment. Lord Jesus, thank you that you know us and yet you love us just as we are. Thank you that we don't have to look within to define or create our own happiness. Thank you that we can just look upwards to you. And I pray for everyone here, regardless of where they are, especially if they're going through difficult or sad times, that you might give them something that is beyond circumstances, being known and loved by you and being in community might bring the happiness that you want us to have in Jesus' name. Amen.